0: Uh, that was great fun. Uh, thanks for letting us have fun with y'all. Uh, it's it's fun to be at a church uh, that can enjoy stuff like this, so I'm very thankful. My name is Fred. I am one of the pastors here. Uh, we are in a, a series in the book of James called Wholehearted, uh, which I will talk about in just a little bit. But first, I want to talk about uh, something that we all have, right? We all have favorites, don't we? We, we, we have favorite ice cream, favorite type of pizza. We've got all types of favorites. And so what I want to do uh, to start off is, is just kind of get a feel for what kind of favorites we have here. And so what we're going to do, I have three different categories, and uh, I'm going to introduce them. And then we're just going to do a response by clapping uh, for your favorite, right? So the first one we're going to do is ice cream. OK, and, and, and I know this is this is Asheville. And so when I say what's your favorite ice cream, you're going to say like honey lavender or wild blueberry organic goat cheese. And that's OK. To keep things simple, though, we're going to do the three main ones, right? Chocolate, vanilla and strawberry. And so what I want you to do is, is those are the three categories. When I say uh, one, I want you to clap if that's your favorite. OK, we got it. So, for example, is for those of you whose favorite is chocolate, go ahead and let me know by clapping. <clears throat> Nice, nice. How about vanilla? Those of you whose favorite is vanilla. Whoa! What? What? Lots of boring people here. How many is your favorite strawberry? <laughs> nice, nice. Especially like summertime from the ice cream machine, freshly made strawberry. That'll that that's good stuff. All right, let's do the next category: uh, Marvel, DC, or don't care. All right. So, uh, how many of you is your favorite Marvel comic? Character? Yes. Yes. Standing applause. Uh, how many of you is DC? All right. Some oldies, but goodies. I like it. How many of you don't care? <laughs> that's, that's offensive by the way. I almost didn't put it in there. All right. Uh, how about this next one? Your firstborn, secondborn, second born or other? I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. <laughs> We're not going to do that, right? Because we don't have favorites, all right? We don't have No, really, if you're kidding here, we really don't have favorites over the long haul. But any given day, you are jockeying for position, right? <laughs> like, like any given day, you move up and down on that ladder. But over the long haul, we don't, we don't have favorites. But, but here, here's why I start off this way. We, we do have favorites, don't we? We have lots of favorites. And, and 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 part of that is okay, right? It's okay to have a favorite ice cream. It's okay to to like DC, Marvel, or, or neither. Um, uh, but when you get on certain topics like kids, it becomes a whole lot more tricky, doesn't it? What happens when favorites become part of the church, though? What happens when whenever you 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 walk into these doors, or what happens when you're whenever you're around God's people? And and you start having favorites. What happens when you sit where you sit because your favorite people sit there? What happens when someone sits in your favorite seat? Right, all right, right. What what happens uh, when someone who isn't your favorite comes into the building? What happens then? What happens when your favorite speaker isn't speaking? What happens when your favorite worship song? isn't sung. You see, this is what we're going to talk about today because, because favorites, what we're going to see in, in the book of James is that favorites actually do a whole lot more harm than good when they're in the context of church, right? And as a matter of fact, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see that wholehearted faith, this wholehearted faith that we're talking about actually can't have favorites because if it does, it does damage. And so church, what would happen if favorites weren't even part of our thinking here? What would happen if, if church wasn't about favorites at all? Well, well here's what we're going to see today. We're going to see a better grid than favorites. And we're going to be in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Um, if you need a Bible, there's some in front of you. I know we've got guests today. And, and if you didn't bring your Bible, <clears throat> that's, that's quite all right. That's why we provide those. If you don't have a Bible, I would love for you to take that one as our gift to you uh, so that you can have the Word of God in your own possession. You can also download the Bible app um, and look under events and click under Fellowship Asheville and we're there. And as you're turning there, uh, we are in a series called Wholehearted where we're walking through the book of James. And in this series, what we're learning is that our hearts can be divided in many different ways when it comes to faith. But what James, who who wrote this letter, and he wrote it to all kinds of to people. He wrote it to Jews who had come to know Christ. He wrote it to people that weren't Jewish that had come to know Christ. That were and, and and they were scattered all over. And 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 he wrote this so that people would know what a divided heart looks like, so they could have a wholehearted faith instead of a divided faith. And we've already seen where he's talked about if if you have one foot planted. And the wisdom of those outside the church and one foot planted in the wisdom of God's word, that's a divided heart. And he wants both feet to be firmly planted in the wisdom of God's word. We've also seen, we've also seen where if you have one foot planted in faith and one foot planted in the exercise, the doing of your faith, that, that that's a divided heart. But James wants both feet planted in doing your faith that overflows from your faith, so that your doing is an overflow, so that that your doing is an overflow from being. That's where he wants your feet firmly planted. And today, what we're going to see is what happens when your heart is divided and you have one foot planted in faith and one foot planted in favorites. What, What happens to you? Let's look at verse 1 and and see. So this is chapter 2, verse 1. He says, My brothers, again, when James, when most Bibles translate the word brothers, it's brothers and sisters, so nobody's off the hook. It says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so here, James is showing that a heart can be divided if it's planted one foot in favorites and, and one foot in this gospel-born faith. And, and, and what James means when he says this, if, if you're new to fellowship and, and you don't know what the gospel means, it's very simple that, that it says that this is what the Lord Jesus Christ did for you. And, and James is referring to the whole backstory of Jesus, that, that he died on a cross and rose from the dead to pay the penalty for our sin, for the things that separate us from God. And not only did he pay the penalty of it, he paid the power of it. And so that that sin doesn't hold us anymore. And so when when we believe in this gospel, there's freedom. And so you see, our faith is this belief in in what Jesus did and what Jesus said and that it was true. That his burial and his resurrection are the anchors of our faith, not not our ability, not our capability to try and make God happy and try and please God. And that that gospel gives us access to God, unfettered all the time, access to God. That's that gospel. And James is saying, you can't hold to this gospel and have favorites in your faith. And he gives us an example of what this mean ne- means next. But first, I want to, I, you know, I don't know if you noticed, but I stopped with a. A couple of words left in that verse, because because look at the rest of that verse. It says, "My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ." And then he uses this word to describe Jesus Christ. He says, "The Lord of glory." Now it's interesting. This word. That translates to this phrase, Lord of Glory, because this was written in Greek, and the word is doxa, D-O-X-A. It's where we get doxology. And what James is doing is he's taking Jesus and calling him God. So it's not just that your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, this guy who was a great teacher and and, and said to be God. He's saying that your faith is actually in God. Now what's interesting, keep in mind, James was Jesus' little brother. Right He grew up knowing Jesus. At least most commentators think he was, and i believe I believe that he was too. As a matter of fact, for James, there wasn't a time in his life where Jesus wasn't a part of his life. Now, some of you, what's interesting, some of you have that same story. Now, Jesus wasn't your big brother, but you grew up in a home where parents raised you, coming to church and raised you in the faith. And so for you, Your testimony is that you never knew a time where Jesus wasn't a part of your life, that he's always been there. And so in many ways, if that's you, you're a whole lot like James, that Jesus has always been there, and yet James calls Jesus, his big brother, he calls him God. Well, if this is you, if you grew up, in the faith, or if you've been in the faith for a while, I think, I think what we're going to see has a lot of applications because you might have a lot of favorites when it comes to church because you've been around church for a long time. And you probably have a great sense of what's right and what's wrong. You probably have a great sense of who's right and who's wrong. You probably have a great sense of how church is supposed to work and how people are supposed to live. And you see, here's what I've noticed by those who have been doing church for a long time, for those who have grown up uh, in the church, and for those who have grown up in the faith, that the longer you've been in the faith, what I've seen is the more favorites you actually have. As a matter of fact, sometimes I've seen this, that your faith becomes centered on your favorites. Right? And it doesn't take very long for this to happen either. You have your favorite type of music that you like to listen to. You have your favorite type of worship that you like sung. You have your favorite type of teaching. You have your favorite type of schooling. You even have your favorite phrases that you like to speak. Y'all, I was at a place that will remain unnamed uh, because it's, it's, it's a place where predominantly Christians go and I was in this place and there was nothing but Christians in there and I just listened to the conversation. Y'all, it was weird. I'm not gonna lie there were two people talking about predestination. Now, they both worked in this place, and they were having not a heated argument, but a very passionate argument about something that, if there were clear answers to, you wouldn't need to argue about it. But they were having, quoting scripture, as I'm walking around this place, this conversation about predestination. I was even listening to the uh, conversations of other people that weren't working there. And the phraseology that was being said was stuff that I thought, man, if somebody came off the street into this place, I don't know that they would have any idea what people were talking about. It was just this really interesting conversation that was centered on favorites, even a favorite point of view about a theological issue. And it was so weird to me Because even though I'm a pastor, I'm not in those environments very often. And y'all, when your faith becomes centered on your favorites, honestly, we just become weird. And so the question I want to ask you as as we continue on in this is, are you one of those weird Christians? And here's what I mean by that. Does your favorites make it difficult for you to connect with people who have different favorites than you? are you able to connect with them? If you're not able to connect with them, congratulations, you're a weird Christian. By my definition. Well, for you, because I'll be honest, there's a part of me that's weird that way. For you, for us, I think James has a really great message. Because what James did in referring to Jesus as God, referring to his big brother as God, he also showed us this model of what the rest of this text is going to look like. Because you see, James sees his big brother as God. And by calling him God from a Jewish mindset, what he's saying is that this is the person that you submit to. This is the person that you worship. This is the person who created all things and holds all things together. And he's saying that about his big brother, Jesus. And he's saying that that when when Jesus is God, when Jesus is our God, our faith isn't centered on favorites, it's centered on him. And when it's centered on Jesus, both your feet are firmly planted in the right place. And we'll see what that looks like as we work our way through this passage. But first, James wants to show us what the issue in his day was, what the issue in his church was. Look at verse 2. Verse 2 says this, it says, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there or sit down at my feet. And so this is James's example. Right When somebody walks in the church obviously dressed well and somebody walks in the church obviously not dressed well, you give the, the rich guy the best seat in the house and you give the poor guy the other seat. And so that's the obvious example that he's using here. And it's an example where faith can be centered on favorites. Well, look at what, when faith is centered on favorites, look at what happens. Now, your situation might be different, but, this, but what happens is the same. Verse 4 says this. It says, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So here's what James is saying. When your faith is centered on favorites, when you have favorites in the church, favorites will do this. Favorites will divide. Favorites will divide. And if you don't believe me, we clapped at our favorites, right? I'm not going to ask you to expose what was going on in your head and your heart, but I bet DC people looked down on Marvel people when they clapped, right? I bet Marvel people looked down on DC people, but I bet the people that look down on the worst were the don't care people. <laughs> That's what favorites do when it's in the church. It causes divisions. And y'all, divisions over favorites are always bad in the church. Now, there are some divisions that are good and necessary. When it comes to dealing with sin, we draw a clear line. When it comes to heresy, we draw a clear line. Those divisions are good and necessary. But when it comes to favorites, when it comes to to worship songs that are being sung or styles of worship or styles of teaching, when it comes to stuff like that where we just have our favorites, those favorites are bad. And those favorites cause Divisions. But look at what because look at what you miss when you divide over favorites. Look at verse 5. He says, listen, my beloved brothers. See, he knows he's about to get up in people's business. That's why he wants to let them know, listen, I love you. I love you, but this is going to hurt. He says, listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? And so you see, James is saying when you play favorites, you actually don't get to see what God sees. Because not only do favorites divide, favorites distort. And he's saying when, when, whenever you play favorites and you play favorites over the rich, over the poor, or even if you play favorites of the poor over the rich, it's going to distort the way you see what God is doing in every type of person, that you will see the poor as a distraction instead of dearly loved by God, and you will see the rich as inherently good, which money is not a sign of blessing. Money is given to be a blessing to people. Right? Right? And he's saying when you play favorites, you distort what God is doing. You distort how God sees people. I was recently talking to a family that was considering where to put their kids in school. Right? And it was a real conversation for them. And, and uh, they had had their kids in, in, in one type of schooling. And now they were wondering, gosh, is it time for us to, to, to explore a different type of schooling? And, and they were looking at public schools, private schools, Christian schools. They were looking at homeschooling. They were looking at all the options. And I'm sure as many of you have parents, you've been there, right? You know what it's like to, to weigh through these. And so, so as I was talking to them and they said, well, how do we decide? And I said, okay, well, here's the first thing you have to do is you have to take your default out. Like take your favorite and don't call it a favorite anymore. Put them all on level ground so that whichever one you choose, you know the why for why you're choosing it. Whether it's public school, you know the why why you're choosing public school. Whether it's private school, you know the why why you're choosing private school. If it's a Christian school, you know the why why you're choosing Christian school. If it's homeschooling, you know the why why you're choosing homeschooling. Take out the favorites so you can see clearly. And what they did is they did that. And it helped them to see what step God wanted them to take. Because you see, when we have favorites, even in decisions like that, when we have favorites, it distorts our ability to see what God is doing. And so you see favorites distort what God is doing. But James being James has a better way because he wants your feet firmly planted in the right place. Look at verse 8. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law. Now, what's fun, this term royal law means a law given from a king to his people, right? And so it's like this royal decree. Like, like you, if you remember the, the, the medieval movies, you got a guy coming out saying, hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. It's that kind of decree is what James is talking about. And so what law has their king given them? What law has God the king given the people? The term royal law means this. It means a command given to king. Let's look at what it is. It says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Jesus did a great teaching on this in Luke chapter 10, and we're not going to go through it all. But, but Jesus did this teaching about a Samaritan, right? And how a Samaritan took care of someone that was considered an enemy to them, a Jewish person. And he did this teaching and, and, and this incredible teaching to, to let people know like, like who their neighbor is. And and the reason he did this teaching is because Jesus quoted this verse and said, love your neighbor as yourself. He said this, and then somebody stood up and said, excuse me, just for clarification, who is your neighbor? And so Jesus made it very clear that your neighbor is the person who isn't your favorite. Your neighbor is your unfavorite, which, by the way, that is a real word I checked. Right? For all you grammar folks and they're going, I don't know. I think that needs a da- hyphen. No, it doesn't. It, it doesn't. It's unfavorite means the, per, the thing or person that isn't your favorite. Right? And what Jesus was saying when he did that parable and what James is referring to here is that the person you are to love is the person that's the hardest for you to love. That's what James is saying. That your neighbor is your unfavorite. To the Jews, it was the Samaritan. In our time, to the Republican, it's the Democrat. To the liberal, it's the conservative. To the medical professional, it's the hippie herbalist down the street, right? (laughs) To the tree hugger, it's the guy down the street that never recycles. He doesn't even own a recycling bin. That guy. To the hymnal-only person, it's the Hillsong person. And if you're hymnal-only, Hillsong is a group of people that publish worship songs. And if you're Hillsong only, hymnals are things that people have sung for hundreds if not thousands of years. There's good theology in both. And there's bad theology in both. Let's be clear. You see, church, faith eliminates favorites. A wholehearted faith eliminates favorites so that, this, so that a wholehearted faith actually loves your unfavorite. So let me, let me, let me ask you a question. Does your unfavorite know that you love them? You see, I was going to ask you, do you love your unfavorite? It's real easy to say yes to that. It's real easy to say no to that. It's real easy to say I don't know. So let me, let me clarify that by saying this. Does your unfavorite know that you love them? Now, as I talk about unfavorite, do you know what I'm talking about? Anybody have an unfavorite in their life? You don't have to raise your hands. But does anybody have a person in your life that you just don't like? And let's keep this in the context of the church, right? Is there a person, not necessarily in this church, but in the church that you just don't like? Maybe it's a person with a different theology than you do. They love Jesus, but man, the way they do it just doesn't make sense to you. Maybe the way they they operate their faith is just really, really hard for you. For them, have they seen evidence of your love? You see, the Samaritan in Jesus' teaching showed love to the unfavorite. And if your answer to this is if they don't know that you love them, if your answer is no or I don't know, James has some really strong words for you. Now, keep in mind, he called you beloved. He loves you, but he's got some strong words for you. Look at verse 9. He says, But if you show partiality, you are committing sin, And are convicted by the law as transgressors. That's loving and encouraging, isn't it? Right? If you're playing favorites, that is sin. And James is saying, if you're playing favorites in your faith, it is sin. But James doesn't want to leave you there. He wants to drive it home just a little bit more and help us to see the weight of this sin. Look at verse 10. It says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails to keep one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, and also said, do not murder. For he also said, do not murder. If you also do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So you see, here's the, here's the tricky part about sin. If you, if you break one of them, you break all of them. Why? Because God is holy. Which means God is clean, God is perfect, God is complete. There is no sin in him, there is no sin around him. And when you sin once, it's as if you have broken all of them. Because something clean can't be with something dirty, because then what is clean now becomes dirty. And James is saying, when you play favorites, In the church, y'all, it is sin. And not only does it divide people in the church, not only does it distort those in the church, it also separates you from the God who loves you and the God who created you. And James is saying if you sin by having favorites, by not loving the unfavorite, that it is as if you have committed every sin. Now, this is particularly important to those whose faith centers on favorites, to those who have been in the church for a long time, to those who Jesus is like your big brother, because we tend to think we're right and they're wrong. That's what we tend to think. And I think James is telling us that this isn't an issue about right or wrong at all. It's really about this. It's about, do, you, do, do your favorites, do your unfavorites know that you love them like a favorite? Do your unfavorites know that you love them like a favorite? It's not one foot in favorites and one foot in faith. It's, it's both feet. Because see, that's what James saying a divided heart is. A divided heart is, is one foot in faith. Yeah, this is my church. And one foot in favorites, and somehow that's balanced. James saying, no, 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 no. There's a whole new place for you to put your feet, and it's your faith that's expressed in love to your unfavorites. That's what a wholehearted faith looks like. It's where your unfavorite knows that you love them. And here's how. Look at verse 12. It says, so speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. But here's his summary statement. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over justice. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You see, there is a God who judges our sins. That's what James is saying. And y'all, we can't escape that reality. There is a God who judges our sins. That's what makes the gospel so sweet. Because Jesus is the one who stands in our place for that judgment. If we were to stand there by ourselves, you are guilty as, uh, as, as assumed. Right? Guilty as accused. But what happens because of the gospel, that when our faith is in Jesus, he stands between us and God. And what God sees is his son. What God sees is himself. And he sees perfection in us instead of our imperfection. Because of what Jesus has done. And what that's called is mercy. That God gives us mercy because of what Jesus has done. And that mercy that's found in our gospel, believing that Jesus died for you, that his death took the power and penalty of sin away. And James is saying, when you judge your unfavorite, he's calling you to remember something. Remember that you were an unfavorite to God, but through Jesus, you have become a favorite. I used to have this shirt that said, Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. Right, unfortunately they sold a lot of those. So there's a lot of favorites running around. But that's what happens. You see because of Jesus you were an unfavorite of God, but because of Jesus you have become his favorite. And so the question for each of us to consider is if God can make you a favorite from an unfavorite shown in the love of Jesus, can you make unfavorites feel loved as a favorites because of Jesus' love and faith in you? You see, the gospel helps you love your unfavorites as a favorite. That's how that works. Because you have been shown mercy, you can show mercy to people that you disagree with. You can show mercy to people who worship differently than you do. You can show mercy to people who are vastly different from you. And that can even go beyond the scope of the church. What that means is that you can take your neighbor across the street or the the person that works from you across the hall or in the next cubicle whose life and morality is vastly different from you. And you can still show them the love of Christ And treat them as a favorite even though they might be an unfavorite because of the mercy that has been shown to you. Maybe their skin color is different. Maybe their their upbringing is different. And you can make them feel like a a favorite instead of an unfavorite. Maybe the way they raise their kids is different than the way you raise your kids. You can make them feel different like a favorite instead of an unfavorite. Maybe they're too disorganized, or maybe they're too organized. And because of the mercy shown you, you can make them feel, help them to feel like a favorite. And so here's my question. Who is your unfavorite? Who is the person or who is the type of person that honestly, when you step into the church, you don't understand How they do life the way they do life. Who is that unfavorite? Because that's the person that James is saying, mercy has been shown to you. What does it look like for you to show love to them? And y'all, it doesn't have to be grand gestures. Maybe it's a smile when you pass by them. Maybe it's a conversation where you ask them about their life and you get to know them. You know, one of the things I've, I've discovered is that somebody sharing their life story with you is a great building block for common ground. It helps them understand you, it helps you understand them, and it builds bridges where bridges are hard to build. Maybe it's inviting them over for dinner. Magic happens around a dinner table where people are talking. Maybe it's just praying for them. Maybe it's asking them if you can pray for them and saying, what what can I be praying for you? And then when they tell you, actually pray about those things. And when you see them again, ask how it went. Check up on them. You see, whatever mercy looks like, whatever love looks like, church, let's do that. And I've got to be honest too, for those of you who are here today, that when I talk about the gospel and I talk about Jesus, you're like, yeah, but um, maybe today is the day that you just submit to him and you see him as your God, as the Lord of glory. And maybe today's the day that, that your faith isn't centered on favorites anymore, but centered on him. And And for those of us whose faith is centered on him, James is being real here and talking to the church and saying, we all struggle with this. I have my struggle with it. You have your struggles with it. What I love about this church is that we struggle well together. We're not going to get this perfect. But because of Jesus, what it means is we can get it a little better. And what that means is that if the Holy Spirit, as I was talking about unfavorites, brought somebody to your mind, he's not wasting his time. He wants you to pray for that person. He wants you to reach out to that person. He wants you to show mercy to that person. And as a matter of fact, what I would ask for you to do is if God did bring an unfavorite to your mind, If he did bring your unfavorite to mind this week, I would ask you to do one thing of mercy for them. It doesn't have to be big. It can be big, but it doesn't have to be big. And then I want you to let me know how it went. I want to know. FredFellowshipAshville.com. That's my email. Or you can do Fred at Fellowship WNC. That's our new one, by the way. It's fun. It's shorter, so there's that. But I'd love to know how showing mercy went. Some of you, it'll be great. Some of you, it won't. But Jesus has shown us mercy and we can show mercy to others. You know what would happen if we did this on a regular basis? Can you imagine a world of people who the church has always called unfavorites realizing that we actually love them and show mercy to them? It doesn't mean we have to change anything about what we believe or how we believe. As a matter of fact, it's what we believe that gives us the ability to love them. Can you imagine arguments that would be shut down? Even Bono said, now he's, he's a believer from what I understand. He's a believer. I've never actually met him, so I can't confirm it. But, but, but he said he used to enjoy being separated from the church because the church didn't know how to love people. And he saw himself basically as a missionary to the world of those who weren't loved by the church. He said, but then the church started figuring it out and fixing it. And then he had to deal with his own issues with the church because that's what was really driving it, church We can love our unfavorites, and it can make a huge difference. And so to you, if God laid an unfavorite in your mind, I ask that we show them mercy. And I'm going to pray for you to do that, and then the worship team's going to come up, and and we're going to worship with one more song uh, and, uh, and then be dismissed. Wasn't this fun having one service? Yes, all you first service people, did you enjoy that extra cup of coffee this morning? I did on the back deck. It was glorious. I haven't done that on the Sunday since my sabbatical, I think. So it was, it was nice. All you second service people, thanks for squeezing in. Um, next week, uh, we'll be back here. But let me pray for us as we love our unfavorite. Jesus, you are a good and holy God. Um, you love the unfavorite. I can, I can testify to that because I was one of the unfavorites that you loved. And yet you reached out to me and you you drew me to you and you changed my heart. And Father, you showed me what love and mercy looks like. And God, I know that you've done that to many people in this room today. And I pray that because of the mercy shown to us, that we can show mercy to others. And Father, I pray specifically for the people that, that you laid on our hearts today and in our minds today. I also pray that you would show us what it looks like to love them and what it looks like to show mercy to them. And Father, I pray that we would be faithful to do that in your time and in your way, that we would be faithful to do that. And I pray that you would bless our steps of faith. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.